Just thank you for Alicia. Thank you for just the amazing woman of God that she is. And thank you, Father, for the gifting she has to listen to you and then share what she's hearing with us. And that's what we pray for this morning, that, that she'll just hear from you and be able to convey that to us so that we can listen in and be changed as well. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I ought to wipe it first, <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, if, uh, as Rob started the service, if that was the first time you'd heard that Bill Johnson was down the road and you're here because you didn't know that, it's, it's okay. You can, uh, I, I won't be offended if you walk out. That's why I'm here too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I am excited about what I'm going to speak about today. Um, I, there's lots I want to unpack. Um, but first, I want to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence within us, upon us, and here in this room. Lord, everything that we have done so far, that we will do in our time together and will do throughout this week, is you. There is nothing good within us. So Holy Spirit, above all else today, I ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would lead me, that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, would you truly be in control today? We surrender all to you. Come and meet us, Holy One. Amen. Um, so <laughs> you'll see that I've put the fruit of the Spirit um, that I am speaking on today. We're in our series of looking at fruit of the Spirit. Um, and the one that I am speaking on is kindness, maybe. <laughs> um, now, I've added a bit of a disclaimer there um, because I may get to speaking about kindness. Um, that is what I am meant to be speaking about after all. Um, but I'm going to spend way more time today speaking about what that bit above it means, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, for me to explain what I mean by that and why, we're going to look at Galatians 5. It's the main scripture we've been focusing on and we're continuing to focus on today. Um, but just to say, I am preaching again in a few weeks on goodness, and I will unpack kindness and goodness then. So if that's what you were hoping for, just come back in a few weeks. But I really feel like this is important. Now, the well-known fruit of the Spirit verse is Galatians 5.22, um, but I want to look at a few verses either side of that too um, that set a really important context for us and kind of unpack why I'm, I'm going down this route and what that means. So I'm going to read from verse 16 to verse 26. Um, it will be up on the screen so you can follow along. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It gets better, I promise. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there's quite a context for that one verse uh, with the kind of attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and I think that there is a real danger when we come to a scripture like this, especially one where there's a good list and a bad list. We had a pretty negative list of stuff up there first, followed by a breath of fresh air, some positive stuff. Um, and, but let me explain what I mean about there being a danger. So I'm going to state the obvious here, but God does not need that list of what a good life looks like. It's not like anyone has ever said to God, God, a good life would look like patience, love, kindness. Oh, and by the way, you, you might want to avoid evil. Um, now, why, why does God not need that list? It's because his nature, his very nature always inclines him to do the right thing. He is good. He is all of the things that are listed on there. So... All of the things that we're looking at in this series, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of them, they pour forth from the heart of God like a fruit would grow on a tree. Now, using the fruit analogy that Paul gives us clearly here, um, if a person is good from the root to the branch, then he does not need to be told to be good because he is good. His goodness grows like a fruit because that is the natural production. If you are good from root all the way through to branch, no one needs to tell you to be good because you can't produce anything other than good. Does that make sense? So, what am I getting at here? Only those who are not good need to be told to be good. So this scripture really stands as a reminder of our not-goodness. Um, so, in a kind of fancier word, our moral depravity. And in fact, I don't know about you, but scripture is a constant reminder for me that I am not good. <laughs> now, if I am being told, bear in mind I've just said that God doesn't need to be told what a good life looks like. If I am being told how to be good, what good looks like, then that means that I am not naturally producing them. Now, if I'm not naturally producing these fruits, that means that there is a problem between the root and the branch. If I am not naturally producing love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, which I can't be because they wouldn't be here, then my root cannot be a perfect root. Do I spontaneously, consistently humble myself and serve others with joy? I wish. <laughs> My fruit is not naturally good, and therefore my root cannot be a perfect one. Does that make sense? Are you with me here? Okay, so why am I saying that there's a potential danger with scriptures like this? I know I'm not saying that the scripture is bad. I am not preaching heresy. The problem is us. <laughs> so this scripture is clearly, if we were naturally 
if the fruit was the goal, we would naturally be doing it. But this, this scripture is urging us to seek transformation at the root. Because if our fruit is not naturally this, it must be a problem with the root. So this scripture is urging us to seek transformation at the root cause of the issue. But what we could have a tendency to do is to take this list and actually use it to express our depravity or our not goodness. And what I mean by that is if our problem is that we are proud or self-sufficient and then we have a voice of authority, scripture, saying faithfulness and kindness are virtuous, they are admirable qualities, then our human nature has the tendency to go, oh, if that's good, then I will train myself through discipline and self-denial and I will become kind and good and patient because that will make me a good person and I will get the praise of men. And actually, we take this list that is saying, address the root, address the root, and we go, I can do this in my own strength and we seek, how many YouTube videos you see at the moment of people that are feeding the poor, who are paying for the next car behind them, Starbucks in the drive-thru, and the whole reason they're doing it is because they want other people to tell them that they're good. We should be the opposite of the world. So I'm not here to say, be kind, be kind, go and buy someone Starbucks, though do that, that's awesome. I'm here to say, like, we, our kindness needs to look different. It needs to not be an expression of our depravity that we would go, I'm going to take this thing that you've called good, I'm going to make it happen in my own strength so that you will see how great I am. We need to actually learn what it is, that it is a fruit of the Spirit, what it is to walk in the Spirit. So that's what I'm going to try and talk about today. It's a big topic. Okay. I think that's why Paul makes it really, really clear, is to help us avoid that, that danger that I've just... Uh, hinted at there, that they are fruits of the Spirit. In fact, he, he goes a step further. In verse 24, he says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So basically what he's saying is <laughs> the basis of doing the good stuff and not the bad stuff is that the root of the bad stuff has died. <laughs> like, this is only possible if we die. Cheerful. Now, again, using the tree analogy, if there was an apple tree here before me, I could stand to it and say, produce me an apple, produce me an apple, produce me an apple. <laughs> this analogy is going to get really old in a minute, isn't it? And I could say that as many times as I want, but unless the root system was right, and unless that tree was getting everything it needed to get, it is never going to produce me an apple. So likewise... I could say, stand here and say, let's be kind, let's be kind, let's be kind, and kind of talk about what I think kindness looks like. But if our root system is wrong, and if we are not tending that in the right way, then it is never going to happen. See, actually, the fruit of the spirit part of the series is what takes this from a secular self-help group to a preaching series. Because the Bible takes very, very seriously the root of depravity, so that root of not goodness in us, in every human heart. But the solution that the Bible offers is not to try harder. It's a radical encounter with God, a good God, a kind God, a patient God, a loving God, a faithful God. So what do I mean by radical encounter? That's a bit of a Christianese phrase, isn't it? What does that actually look like? 
Now, some of you, I realize I'm, I'm repeating stuff that you are very familiar with, but I think it's important. When you gave your life to Christ, something wild happened. Like, I'm talking crazy. The third person of the Trinity took up residency in you. And not only that, but you lived to tell the tale. Now, we often stand in wonder, and rightly so. I, the, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, will be the mystery and wonder of our hearts and for ages and ages and ages to come. But we often stand in wonder at that. And yet we throw around phrases like the indwelling spirit and being born again because we're Christians and that's what we talk about without actually grasping a hold of what that reality is. The fact that the Holy Spirit, the one who was there in the beginning, who hovered over the waters, who was part of creation, when we, the moment that we believed in Christ, the moment that we believed that it was his death for my sake, his crucifixion so that I might live, the moment that we believed, that spirit took up residency in us. I want to read this This kind of links to what I'm talking about, but I just love it, so I'm going to bring it in and pretend like it perfectly fits. Um, so John the Baptist, okay, we are told in Scripture, in Luke 1.15, that um, he was filled with the Spirit before he was even born. That's a unique situation, right? Luke 1.15 says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And we see that become a reality. Luke 1, 41 to 45. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. So at, what's happening here is Mary, pregnant with Jesus, has gone to see Elizabeth, who is currently pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay, that's what's happening. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped to my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Again, this, this is slightly linked, I promise. But I just find it so awesome. Because what you are witnessing here is God reacting to God inside two wombs of two young girls in fetus form. You have Jesus, the Son of God, in flesh as a fetus inside the womb of Mary, a normal human girl. And you have John the Baptist filled with the Spirit from the womb, reacting to the presence of Jesus in the form of a fetus. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Now, why am, I t why am I kind of going on about that story? It's because <laughs> if the Holy Spirit, God, was resting on a fetus and caused that fetus to react in the presence of another one of the Trinity, Jesus, inside a womb, that same Holy Spirit is in us now. If he causes a baby to leap, he is the one who is transforming our lives because he is part of the Godhead. Sometimes we have this idea that we know the Father, we know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is this weird, mysterious, floaty thing that we don't really know what to do with. <laughs> he is a person, and he lives on the inside. 
It's exciting. Um, so, every other creature, okay, God spoke into being. But mankind, he fashioned with his hands, creating his most treasured masterpiece, a people that he would literally dwell in. Can you imagine God the Father creating, creating us, forming Adam with his hands? When everything else, he just said, let there be this, and it was that. Forming with his hands, not only knowing that one day his son would take on that image and walk among those, but actually that at one point this frame that he was creating would be his temple, his tabernacle. The Holy Spirit would dwell in. So in other words, this radical encounter that I mentioned with God is the fact that you have been born again. Another Christian phrase that we throw around a lot. But what does it mean? Well, let's look at... Um, someone who was as confused as we are, a guy called Nicodemus. I'm not going to read this word for word, and I don't have it on the screens for the sake of time. Um, but basically, there is a Pharisee called Nicodemus. In fact, he's a Pharisee. is important. Um, and he goes to see Jesus at night, and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Great statement, right? We know that you are God because no one could be doing what you're doing without God. And Jesus' response is not quite what we expect. He answers and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus responds <laughs> with the way that most of us would. Um, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> I love it. He's basically going, I don't know if you know this, Jesus. I thought you were quite smart, but I've been born. <laughs> and I don't know if you know how that process works, but there is not much chance of me getting back in to come out again, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? <laughs> He's a bit confused. And Jesus says the same thing again. Don't you love it when Jesus says that? It doesn't actually kind of change what he says. He just says the same thing again until you get it. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, so the fact that Nicodemus is a Pharisee means that he was high up on his religion. He knew his stuff. He knew his doctrine. He was a good law keeper. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is not, you need a new religion. You need, you need to rethink some stuff. What he's saying is, you need a new life, the very purpose of being born is for a life to start. And so if we, you know, Scripture says over and over again that we have been reborn. And what that means is we have been given a new life. It doesn't matter what age that happened. It, it is the process of give, being given a new life. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, with all of his study, discipline, and law-keeping, needs a new life. Now, apart from God's regenerating grace, regenerating, you know, process of regeneration, creating new life, we were, what were we, spiritually dead. For something to need a new life, it's got to be dead. 
were morally selfish and rebellious and legally guilty before God under his wrath. So if we have to be born again of the spirit, if there has to be a spiritual new life that takes place, it must mean that our previous condition was hopeless. There is what, what Jesus is saying here is if you have to be born again to see and know the kingdom of God, it means that the kingdom of God is such that us in our broken, all of the negative stuff state cannot possibly be compatible with that kingdom. So instead of you just never getting to be part of it, I will step in and bring new life. It's very literal. It's a new life. Make sense? So birth is new life. It's not about patching up an old building. It's to start again from the foundation. In our tree analogy, it's killing the old root and, and getting a new one. What happens in the new birth is that life comes into being that was not there before. New life happens at new birth. It's not religious activity or discipline or decision. This is the coming into being of life. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Romans 8, verses 9 to 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a a lot of words in there. This is what I think it's trying to say saying much more than this because it's the Bible, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, That before, there was absolutely no hope in our lives of transformation. But the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit who took a man from death to life, is now in us, and he intends to do the very same thing within us. Take us from death to life, spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't think these words are used lightly. Paul understood that when we're saved, a powerful act of creation occurs within us. Just as Adam was entirely new when the breath of God entered him and opened his eyes for the first time, so we are entirely new when we enter into Christ. And it's not anything we have done. This is, this is the, the point to grasp out of all of this. It is not anything that we have done. It's not a decision we made. It is entirely the work of the Spirit within us. Because the Spirit has come and has made us spiritually new. Now, I loved kind of what happened in worship because it was the most perfect example of what I'm talking about. Um, so, we were singing, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. It's a great song. Great phrase. What are we actually talking about? It's talking about being born again. See, you were once, before you knew Christ, before you heard the gospel, you were once a slave to fear. Now, a slave, in its very sense, means you don't have any say in what that thing does to you. You are a slave to it. But you've been born again now. The Spirit came in, and you're free from that because you're a child of God. Now, as James shared, this is such a perfect example of the Holy Spirit working. Uh, As Jane shared, does that mean that in an instant you never ever fear again because you're a new creation, you're born again? Maybe sometimes. I want to limit the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe sometimes, but not often. What it means is 
that because you are now a new creation, before you had no potential to ever be free from fear because you're a slave. But now you have been born again spiritually. So even though you might not feel it right now, you have the potential because of the Holy Spirit to never fear again. That's the difference. You are a new creation and therefore can bear different fruit because you are entirely new. Now, as Jane said again, you can't just stop being fearful yourself. We've tried that. (laughs) You know, if that would have worked, we didn't need the gospel. Oh, it's okay, I'm scared, but I'll just decide to not be scared. We can't do that by ourselves because we were a slave to it. It has to be God. It has to be the work of the Spirit. It has to be that engagement with him that Jane was talking about that takes us on that journey. So, John 1, verses 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. That's crazy. Now, <laughs> I'm going to make a statement here, and I'm going to make it confidently, that in this room we have one thing in common, every single one of us, and that is the fact that we have been born. <laughs> now, <laughs> each of us possesses, thanks for the few of you who laughed, I found myself really funny. <laughs> Um, each of us possesses, because we have been born, that means each of us possesses the genes and the traits of our parents. Okay? So when a child is first born, we don't see the full resemblance. We don't see a mini parent popping out at the same age. That would be weird. That would be very weird. But the fullness of the genetic inheritance on the inside is not yet displayed on the outside when we're born. Okay? But as time passes, the child grows. We begin to bear a greater resemblance to our parents because the parents' genes are alive within that child. Now, you know where I'm going with this. In the same way that a child is birthed into a natural family and contains the DNA and characteristics of the parents, sorry, I'm just reading this bit, but I don't want to mess it up. So we who are born of God have been birthed into the spiritual reality of the kingdom and contain the DNA of God. Now, the fullness of that reality does not manifest itself right away. But as we engage with God, as we walk in the Spirit, as Paul says, it grows until we eventually begin to look like him, to talk like him, to walk like him, and sound like him. Now, does that mean it's passive, that all we need to do to be kind and patient and good and all of those things is to sit and wait to grow up? No, (laughs) the opposite. We walk in the Spirit, as Paul said. Now, to kind of unpack a tiny bit of what that means, again, we could literally do a whole series on living in the Spirit, um, but we're going to look at uh, a couple of chapters before, Galatians 3, verses 1 to 5. It says, O foolish Galatians, I love Paul, it's just so to the point. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Lots of words. This is the point I would like to try and make. So what he's saying here is, 
The Spirit came to you the first time by faith. Not some cool thing that you did. You believed in Christ and the Spirit came to you by faith. So why would you think that the journey from that point on then became your responsibility to do it in your own strength? He's saying the one who supplies the Spirit, not supplied, not a one-time pass thing, the one who supplies spirits and is at work among you still moves by faith. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's asking them a question, but he's doing that like dad thing where he's asking you a question but telling you the answer in the question. It's by faith. The Spirit came by faith the first time. And we would, why would we then expect to go on this journey in the flesh? It continues to be by faith. So if you have continued faith in Christ, the gospel and his promises, the Holy Spirit will be at work within you. And this fruit, the fruit that we are going after, will begin to be our natural production. I'm hoping the dots are coming together because I realize I'm trying to get through a lot. Now, a, a, an example of this, practically. So you are waiting for something to happen. It is something that you really believe that God said was going to happen and you're waiting and it's still not happened. But you have faith in Christ, the gospel and in his promises. So you say, I trust in you, Jesus. You work all things together for good. You died for me. You therefore purchase this promise for me. And what happens is in your faith, in your trusting of God, you let go of the right and the desire to make things happen for yourself. So you didn't just tell yourself, be patient, be patient. You had faith in Christ. You had faith in the gospel. The Holy Spirit did his work. And trusting in, and in trusting who God was and in his faithfulness, Patience was produced. Do you see how that works? There is a faith in who God is that naturally begins to produce the fruit that we want to produce because we have set our heart and our root in the right direction. So why on earth would he do it this way? Why would the work of the Holy Spirit be attached to our faith in Christ? So there's a passage in John 16. Again, we're not going to go into it all. There's a passage in John 16 where Jesus is still with the disciples, but he's telling them like that he's about to go away. He's about to be killed. He's about to rise again. But he's telling them, like, don't fear because I'm sending one to you. I'm sending a helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's kind of unpacking what the Holy Spirit will do and why it's going to be so awesome when the Holy Spirit's around. And a phrase he says in that is, I will send him and he will glorify me. See, the Holy Spirit is always on a mission to make us like Jesus and bring glory to him. So he's daily sanctifying us to make us more like him. So how is Christ glorified in us walking in the Spirit? Because if we choose to have faith in who he is, if we choose to trust in who he is in the gospel, in the finished work of the cross, in his promises, if we choose to have faith, then by nature of faith, we're not trusting in ourselves. we're trusting in Jesus. And Jesus is glorified as that root of flesh dies because we are no longer trusting in it. And it's the same with all the fruits, kindness, patience, goodness. So what is our part? There's lots, lots and lots that's our part, but a few points I want to make. We behold Jesus. We behold him. You want to be kind? Look at the kindest man that ever walked on the planet Earth. 
And it's not just about trying to copy him, though do that because he's the best person to copy. But as you behold him and as your faith in him grows, the Holy Spirit will work and you will find yourself naturally producing these fruits because your root system is changing. Because you're not trying to get the sustenance you need from yourself. You're trusting in the Holy Spirit. We have faith and we work with the Spirit. There are many scriptures that talk about walking in step with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit, as in let's not make choices that don't honor the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us. We, we need to work with, we need to make our choices. I'm going to close with a brief mention about kindness because that is what I came here to speak about. <laughs> so um, Titus chapter 3 verses 4 to 6 is an amazing scripture, and it just happens to tie up everything perfectly. Um, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, not only is this kind of saying, according to his mercy, he saved us through the fact that we are now born again, but what's great is that word kindness there, but when the kindness and the love of God and our Savior toward man appeared, that word kindness in the Greek is the exact same word as it is in Galatians 5 when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness. Now, if it's the same word, that we are meant to be producing, that is used to describe Christ's salvation of mankind, that's a pretty big ask. Because that is a kindness on a whole other level that's not human. It seeks nothing in return. It gives and it gives and it gives. So if that is the same word, if that is what we're going for, it has to be God. (laughs) This is my, my overarching point. It's about God. It's not about us. The word kindness is used here, and it's the same one. Now, of course, we should choose to be kind this week. And I will, next time I preach, unpack actually some of biblical kindness. Sorry. Um, it does take our involvement. But my, my hope and my heart is that more importantly, we would make a decision as a church that we will actually walk in our inheritance. See, there is the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is active and alive within us. And we try and do it all in our own strength still. If we want to see a city change, a nation change, then we have to understand who dwells on the inside of us. More than us buying someone a coffee this week, though, let's do it. It's an amazing thing to do. I hope that we will understand and begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to not only overcome sin, though that's promised, but actually to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That actually, just as we've said, that as we have faith, as we trust in God, as we do our part and not make choices that grieve the Holy Spirit, as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he's not a weird cloud. He's a person of the Godhead who we get to talk to. As we fellowship with him, our understanding and our root system will change so that we begin to be people who without thinking, I'm going to be kind today, it's just who we are. No one needs to tell God to be kind. I know we have a long way to get there. We're not God. We will never be God. But as we begin to let the Holy Spirit do his work, it's only then can we ever understand what kindness and patience and goodness and self-control really look like.
So I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that I am a new creation in you. Lord, I could do none of this by myself. I was a slave to fear. Lord, you know even more than I am horribly aware of that my nature is anger, is jealousy, is envy, is all of the stuff on the bad list. And I have no hope of saving myself, but Holy Spirit, I thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead and that you are active on the inside of me. So my prayer this week, Holy Spirit, and for anyone who echoes this prayer is help me, transform me. Let me not overlook your transformative power, but let me fellowship with you. Let me walk with you. Let me walk in step with you. Convict me when I make choices that grieve you and let my roots begin to change, that I would truly bear good fruit fruit that feeds others, fruit that is refreshing to the taste. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence within me, upon us, and in this room. Would you, God, do what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen.